Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. There's no doubt that 2020 goes down in historical books as the year of change. If we could summarize 2020 with one word, I would submit to you would be change. We've had to change everything just about of what we know how and what we normally do about life. From the way we go to school with the young people, they've had to change how they go to school. Whether it's in a high school, middle school, elementary school, or in a university, we've had to adapt and change how we do school. We've had to change how we work. Some have switched from the brick and mortar facilities to the online work. We've had to change how we worship here at this place and many other houses of worship all across the world. Going from online to in the parking lot to back inside. Everything about 2020 has changed. And I want you to know this, that as we think about the year that we're living in and how much everything has changed, we serve the unchanging God that is represented here in Hebrews chapter 6. And today it is these three words I want to label as my sermon title, the unchanging God. Today I believe that God is an unchanging God. And that, yes, everything we know of life before 2020 has dramatically changed in this year. I want you to know this, that God does not change. In fact, the key statement or the key central thought that I have for this morning's message and from this passage is this. Even though times may change, our God remains the same. Even though times may change, our God remains the same. Hey, the clock might change. In fact, it's going to change. Your job might change. Your car that you drive might change. The house that you live in might change. Listen, you might change your clothes every day, and I hope you will for the rest of our sake. But hey, everything in this world will change, but there's one thing that remains the same, and that is our God is the unchanging God. The times may be changing, but our God is unchanging. Today, I want you to know this, that if we're coming to this passage of Scripture, the really the theme here in these several verses is that God does not change. We see the theme of this letter, that, or this sermon, if you will, that, that the writer of Hebrews is presenting to us, is he's writing to these Hebrew believers and, and, and it's a great book here, and it's revealing to us, not just here in this section, but over in chapter 13, verse 8, the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. So one of the themes of this book is that God does not change. And so, hey, it doesn't matter what transpires the rest of this year or the rest of our lives. Know this, that God is the unchanging God. In James chapter 1, we read about how the writer, he said that, that our God, it, there is neither shadow of turning with our God. In other words, he says, God does not change. Throughout Scripture, we see that theme. From Genesis to Revelation, 
But it is in this passage of Scripture today that I want to draw your attention to just unpack what this section of the Word of God is revealing to us. In fact, I have three thoughts I want to share with you about the unchanging God and how it relates to our changing times. But before I, I, I share that, I want to ask this question. What remains the same even though our times may change? God does. God always remains the same. And today I want to share with you three ways and three manners that God does not change in the midst of changing times. In verses 13 through 16, I want to share this with you. In changing times, the promises of God never change. In verses 17 through 20, I want to focus on this thought. In changing times, the person of God never changes. And then I want to draw your attention to one word in verse number 17, the word counsel, and share with you finally, in changing times, the precepts of God never change. So we're going to look at God's precepts, we're going to look at God's person or His character, and then we're going to look at God's promises. Will you come with me as we, as we adventure through this passage of Scripture that the writer is presenting to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Look at verses 13 through 16. The first thought is this. In changing times, the promises of God never change. In changing times, the promises of God never change. So far in the book of Hebrews, we've observed the writer going back to the Old Testament, speaking about the prophets, speaking about the angels, speaking about Moses, speaking about Joshua, and speaking about the law. And the writer is presenting the case that Jesus is superior than the prophets. Jesus is superior than the angels. Jesus is superior than Moses, superior than Joshua, and superior than the law. But now he draws our attention to a magnificent illustration. One of the greatest characters in the Old Testament is the patriarch Abraham. And in this scene, the writer of Hebrews is, is addressing a Jewish audience. And so he's taking them back to one of the greatest scenes in Genesis. And that is when Abraham comes. And God gave Abraham a promise. In Genesis chapter 12, we, we read about the promise that, that God is going to bless this hand and nation that comes through Abraham. And that he eventually promises this man, Abraham, that he's going to have a child, a son specifically. Now, what's interesting about Abraham is when Abraham received this call of God to leave one place and go to the other, he was what we would classify today as a senior citizen. He was classified as an individual who, who would be retired, who no longer would need to clock in and clock out. And we see that God makes him a promise of having a son late in life. And as all of us, as each of us would most likely uh, have, a, have a time of of laughter over if God revealed that to many of you or to me later in my life. They laughed at God. But God's promises came in human form when Isaac was born. So Abraham has a son. Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. And then God comes to Abraham in Genesis 22. And the Bible, the King James uses the word, the word tempt. And it just gives a simple, a simple idea that, that God put Abraham up to a great trial and test. That temptation that he was going through. 
And so God gives Abraham this trial of a test and this temptation. And he says, I want you to take your son and I want you to put him on the altar and I want you to sacrifice him. So Abraham takes his son and goes to that place to sacrifice. He builds that altar. He erects that place where he's going to take his son and lay him and strap him on that altar. And you know the story, as soon as, as soon as Abraham brings his knife and his dagger up in the air, the angel of the Lord speaks. Ultimately, that, that scene in the Old Testament that is being recalled here in Hebrews is a great type and picture of God's only begotten Son being slain on the cross of Calvary so that we could have direct access to God. And so, yes, God promised Abraham how he was going to have a son and have a nation through that son that the stars could not count and that the sand on the seashore could not number. But God's greater promise revealed through Abraham and through Isaac is that God is going to send his only son to die in our stead on the cross and then be raised victoriously again so that we could have everlasting life. And I want you to know this, that hey, I know our culture might change. Ever since 1776, a lot's changed in the United States of America. A lot's changed in our world today. But what does not change is that God still promises all people the ability to come to him in faith through Jesus Christ. For whosoever, the Bible says, shall call upon the name of the Lord. For God so loved the world, we, we say all the time. In changing times, the promises of God never, ever, ever change. So many promises we could unpack throughout Scripture today. Like the promise of Christ's second coming. And He is coming again. The promises of his return, the promises how he's going to still fulfill what he promised to the land of it, the people of Israel that he's yet to fulfill. We could talk about all these promises, but I want to share with you a few thoughts today about the promises of God from here in this illustration that the writer is, is recalling to our minds about Abraham. Here's what I want to share with you. Let us patiently persevere in the promises of God. As we read verses 13, 14, and 15, we see that Abraham received a promise by God and, and he persistently and patiently persevered through that promise. Notice verse 15, the first part, it says, And so after he had patiently endured, this word endure, it literally means and gives the idea of persevering. It's the ability to hold one's feelings in restraint without retaliation against others. It also presents the case that this is the ability to remain steadfast in the face of undesirable circumstances. Undesirable circumstances of taking his son and placing him on the altar. We've seen some unique circumstances in our world today. And I want you to know this, that we need to patiently persevere in the promises of God. Because if God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, and then again in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 through 18, I want you to know this, that God made us promises, and He will fulfill those promises too. Verse 14 is a direct quotation from Genesis 22. God made Abraham a promise in Genesis 12, and then He reaffirms that promise in Genesis 22 based upon Abraham's 
patience and endurance through that testing. I want you to know this, no matter what trial or testing or temptation you go through, there is always a purpose to it. And God has a greater plan. So let us persevere believing in the promises of God to this very day. And that leads me to verse number 14, where we see the writer of Hebrews is quoting back in Genesis 22. And not only did I, I want to share with you how we, to let us patiently persevere in the promises of God, but I want you to know this. Let us confidently believe in the promises of God. Let us confidently believe in the promises of God. Abraham believed in the promise that God made him. And he lived through that promise by enduring that trial. Today, we have a great confidence found in Jesus Christ. How that some might place their confidence in a man... But the Bible says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Today, I, I want you to notice that, that we can confidently go to God and believe his promises. He's made us a promise about eternal life through him. And we can, we can believe it with all confidence. Because the Bible is the greatest truth in all the world. Jesus is the greatest truth and so we can confidently believe it. Some people confidently believe that the Lakers are going to win in the NBA Finals. And hats off to them. Double kudos to them. But I want you to know this, that just the confidence as LeBron James and some of those team members had in playing a, 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 a game, we have a greater confidence in believing in Jesus Christ. I want you to know this, that yes, we need to patiently persevere. Yes, we need to confidently believe in the promises that God has given us. But I want you to know this. Let us assuredly receive the promises of God. Let us assuredly receive the promises of God. It says in verse number 15 that he obtained the promise. <laughs> we, we see that how he endured that trial, that testing, that temptation. Abraham did. And then he, he took his son to the altar and there he sacrificed him. And then God, he, went to, he made preparation to sacrifice. And God brought his own lamb and sacrificed him there, picturing Jesus. And then we see here in verse number 15 that the writer of Hebrews says he obtained the promise. So of Abraham, it gives this idea that he went to his mailbox, he opened up that mailbox, and he pulled out the letter and read it for himself. It gives the idea that you, that you receive mama or grandmama's cooking, and you took it and you put it in your mouth and ate it for yourself. Here it says that he obtained the promise, so he, he received this promise of himself. So I want you to know this, we can assuredly receive the promises of God. I think about that verse in 1 John where the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know that we know that we know that we know that we know Jesus as our Savior. So let us assuredly, let us confidently, let us patiently receive, believe, and persevere in the promises of God. In, time, in changing times, the promises of God Never change. Even though times may change, our God remains the same. God is the unchanging God. And today we're speaking about how He is the unchanging one. And in these first few verses, in verse 13 through 16, well, by the way, notice verse 16. It says, For men verily swear by the greater, 
As it's an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. This, we, ha- we understand this, that God made a promise and then he made a pledge. That's what an oath is. That is affirming that he's going to do what he said he did or he's going to do. And here we see that oftentimes our modern idea of a pledge, I could say, hey, I want to buy the house from you. That's a promise. I'm going to buy the house from you. But then the pledge is getting out the document and signing on the dotted line. And here we understand that God's contract is his word and he has given us his word. And you cannot make an oath greater than his name. And so here there is no need to have strife in our world because of the oath and promises of God. In changing times, the promises of God never change. But now let me draw your attention to verses 17 through 20. In the second half of this section of Scripture, we're gonna, I want you to notice that, yes, the unchanging God is specifically mentioned here in this section. And it is this area where we really see the theme of these last several verses of Hebrews chapter 6. But from verses 70 to 20, this is the second thought I want to relate to you. In changing times, the person of God never changes. In changing times, the person of God never changes. Do you know somebody who's changed their belief over the years? It happens. Do you know somebody that has changed their lifestyle over the years? It happens. Do you know somebody that was going in one complete direction with their life and then they changed and went the other way? It happens. Do you know somebody who believed what was right was right and then shifted and believed what was wrong is now right? Man has a way of changing their belief systems. Man has a way of changing their actions and behaviors. And man has the capability of doing all that. But I want you to know this, that when it comes to the person and character of God, God does not change. My character may change. Your character may change. But God's does not change. And so hear me well today, that here in this next, these next few verses, we see that in changing times, the person of God never changes. But I want you to know this, that in these several verses here, these last four verses of this passage, it reveals to us the three different manners in which God does not change. And I want to draw your attention to verse 17. And we're going to come to this verse a little bit later at the very end of the message. But here, I want you to understand this. The term counsel is used here. And when we think of a counsel, sometimes we think of a board. A group of individuals who make decisions. Sometimes we think of a counselor who you go to to be advised. You get advice from and and you get direction from. But here, the Bible, it it, it is revealing here that the term counsel, when God uses the word about his counsel, he is speaking about his word. And so here's what I wrote down. God's counsel remains permanent. Verse 17 teaches us that God's counsel remains permanent. Check it out now. Verse 17 says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise. Heir means you're inheriting something. So we have been grafted in to inherit some of the promises of the Old Testament covenant. And we should be thankful for that. And ultimately we have inherited now the, the great promise and inheritance of Jesus Christ, eternal life through him. 
But then check it out now. It says, heirs of the promise, the immutability. This term immutability is found here in verse 18 and verse 17. And it just simply means, if you go look it up, it just means unchanging. So here we get the idea that God is the unchanging God. And here it says that his counsel is unchanging. So God's counsel remains permanent. We're going to talk about this a little later, but it is literally referring to his word. His counsel is the only counsel we need. Yes, you can go see a licensed professional counsel and they might be able to help you. Yes, you can go see a psychiatrist, uh, psychiatrist, and yes, they might be able to help you. Yes, you can go talk to a pastor, and yes, they might be able to help you. Yes, you can go talk to a doctor about your mental health, and yes, they might be able to help you. But I want you to understand this, that God's counsel is the greatest counsel in the world. And the Holy Spirit can counsel us through God's Word. God's counsel remains permanent. And then it says, confirmed it by an oath. And then verse 18. Verse 18 teaches us this. God's character remains excellent. God's character remains excellent. Notice verse 18. It says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. You see, God is the true God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And if he said he is the truth, then that, mean, that means he cannot lie. In fact, in the book of Numbers, in the book of Hebrews here, and in the book of Titus, we read about how the Bible assures us that God does not lie. His character does not change. So that br brings me to ask this question. Why in like the book of Exodus or why in the book of Jonah does the Bible say that God changed his mind? Or as the King James uses the word, it, God repented. In fact, in Jonah, the Bible says God repented of the evil, that is the calamities that he's going to send upon Nineveh. Keep in mind that sometimes God's promises are unconditional, but then sometimes God's promises are conditional. And God promised in the, book of, in, the, in the law that he said that if you obey my word, you're going to have my blessing, but if you disobey my word, you're going to have my cursing. So God's conditional promises in certain areas is that if you obey my word, my blessing will be poured out on you. But if you disobey my word, my judgment will be poured out on you. So God was going to send judgment down upon his people in the Old Testament, sometimes to, to Gentile nations like the Ninevites or the Assyrians in Jonah's day. And because they repented of their sin and they confessed their sin to God and said, God, forgive me, God said, instead of me pouring out my judgment, I'm going to pour out my blessing. So that's how he answered the question, how come the Bible says God repented or changed his mind? That's not about his character. In fact, that is, that is in complete consistency with his character here. That God said he cannot lie. So if God would through, if God would have sent down his judgment upon me, even though I confessed Jesus as my Savior and asked him for forgiveness, if he were to send me to hell, that would be against God's nature and character and person. And so here we see that he said he cannot lie. And his character remains excellent. God's character remains excellent. Here is the thought from verse 18, at least the first part. Listen, you can spend a whole lifetime building up a reputation and a character and a name. And in one moment, it can all fall and crumble to the ground. God's character will never fall because God's character is flawless. God's character will never fall because God's character is without blemish. God is the perfect one, and he demands perfection from us. 
Remember what Jesus said? He said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How can we be perfect? How can we develop the perfect character and qualities that God has? Well, we can't do it on our own. In fact, the only way it can be done is when God imputes his character to us. And that's his righteousness. Remember what, what Paul said in Corinthians? He said, he said, and you, he said that, that Christ has become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. Today, we have got to be clothed with God's character through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is the only way we can remain excellent in his eyes. Notice the last part of verse 18 down to verse 20. Yes, in changing times, the person of God never changed. That means God's counsel remains permanent. That means God's character remains excellent. But then it means this, God's comfort remains perfect. God's comfort remains perfect. There are times in our lives when we lose loved ones. There are times in our lives when we get a disease. There are times in our lives when we need to be comforted by other people. In Job's case, his friends didn't do that for him. I hope that you'll do better than his friends. But check it out now. It says we might, in verse number 18, as we move forward after it speaks about the God cannot lie, it says we might have a strong consolation. That word literally means comfort. God is our blessed consolation, as the songwriter said. It says who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. You know, just recently we've seen so many disasters from wildfires to hurricanes. And, and just there in the Gulf, they, they experience these hurricanes, I guess like we experience nearly every year. But, but sometimes it's very brutal. And sometimes the, the, the leaders and the authorities who govern that area say, it's, you need to leave. And they're asking people to leave when the hurricane and the storm gets so severe so that they can find shelter. Or, as the King James says, refuge. I want you to know this, that the only place you can go to for shelter and refuge in this world is in the presence and arms of Jesus Christ. He is our consolation. When we are down and weak and weary, He can wrap His arms of consolation and comfort around us and give us a boost. Check it out now. It says, who have fled for refuge to lay hold. Hmm. Just like here in a few moments, we're going to lay hold on our food for lunch. Hallelujah. But here the Bible says that they are laying hold on the hope. That means an earnest expectation set before us, speaking about Jesus. God's comfort remains perfect. He is the one who can give perfect comfort. Have you ever been through a trial and your fellow brother or sister said something that just like made you mad? Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all. Just to wrap your arms around them and say, hey, I don't know, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I'm praying for you and I'm here for you. Verse 19 says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. In the early 1900s, we are told by historians that the great Titanic was built. And this boat was a large boat. Bigger than, than most of the boats that have ever been built. And they were going to sail across the high seas of the Atlantic. And I remember reading what one historian quoted somebody in, about the Titanic. They said this, God himself could not sink this ship. That is not the best thing to say. 
<laughs> that is literally putting God to a test and tempting him. And remember, the Bible says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. But as you know the story that the, the Titanic set sail across that ocean. And there it hit the iceberg. And then now the Titanic is at the bottom of the ocean. But you know, it's interesting that even the Titanic, it had an anchor. And the anchor was, was designed in a way that, that when the storm would be raging in the seas, they could throw the anchor out and it could lay a hold at the bottom of the ocean to, to hold the ship in place. Now, the Titanic didn't make it that far. But I want you to know this, that we have a greater anchor than that was put on the Titanic. And that is the anchor of Jesus Christ. And this is called the anchor of our soul. That Jesus comes in and he, he, he establishes his foundation into us and we're standing on it. And it says both sure and steadfast that this foundation is immovable. It cannot be moved by the tides and the, 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 the storms and the waves of the enemy. When the storm is raging, God is saving us. And then it says, and which entereth into that within the veil. So as we see here, why can we have consolation in Jesus Christ? Well, because he is our refuge. He is our place of shelter and safety. But then he is our settled and solid foundation. That when the, when the craziness of 2020 in our lives hit us hard, we're not going to be shaken because of Jesus Christ. And then verse 20 concludes the thought wrapped up in, in, the, in this whole chapter and transitioned us into the whole discussion, chapter 7, about, about Melchizedek and Jesus and how Jesus is the great high priest. And the Bible says here that, that here in verse 20, it's revealing back to his priestly roles about how he is the forerunner who went before us and he entered into the Holy of Holies. That is, he died on the cross for our sins. And, and as the priest in the Old Testament sprinkled the blood on that mercy seat, that Jesus sprinkled his blood on the cross. And here even Jesus is made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In changing times, the person of God never changes. His character doesn't change. In changing times, the promises of God never change. But now I want to draw your attention back to verse number 17. And I want to draw your attention to one simple word as we kind of share this last and final thought today about the unchanging God. Remember, even though times may change, our God remains the same. He is the God who does not change. He is the unchanging God. And in verse number 17, one word, the word counsel. Would you say that word with me? Counsel. Say it again, please. Counsel. One more time. Counsel. Here's what I wrote down and I want to share with you. In changing times, the precepts of God never change. In changing times, the precepts of God never change. In Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, nearly every single verse is talking about God's Word. And in a couple instances, we read about how the Bible calls the Word of God the counselors of God. And here, the writer of Hebrews is using the term counsel to describe God's Word. God's Word can also be called law, statutes, precepts, book. It can be called many different things. But here, we need to understand this, that God's word never changes. In Psalm 117, the shortest psalm in the Old Testament, it says that the truth of God endures forever. That is his word. 
In Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever God's word is settled in heaven. In Psalm 119, verse 160, the Bible says God's word is true from the very beginning, and every one of his righteous judgments endures forever. As we see this word counsel, we have to pause and just reflect upon the very word of God. The book you're holding there, the book you have on your phone or your tablet or your iPad, it is the greatest book that has ever been written. I'm telling you, this book is so great, it has the ability to change lives. So why, why would it be able to change lives? Well, because the first aspect of God's word I'm going to share with you is this. God's word is inspired. God's word is inspired. That's what sets this book apart from every other book in the Roanoke County Library or in the Library of Congress or any other book that's ever been written. You can open up any book and just read it and it'll just be words on a page. But this book is life on a page because God breathed. That's what the word inspire means. God breathed his life into this book. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, All Scripture. We understand that the immediate context that Paul's writing about is the Old Testament text. But in our New Testament revelation, combining it all together, we understand that the Old Testament and the New Testament is the inspired text of God. All of it was breathed by Him. And that's why it gives life to those who are dead. That's why it can wake up those who are asleep. That's why it can restore lives that are broken. God's Word is inspired and is profitable for for doctrine. That is, we can open God's Word and it can teach us about God. It can correct us when we're wrong. And then it can instruct us in how to live. The Word of God is inspired. The second aspect of God's Word I want to share with you about it not being changed is this, that the Word of God is inerrant and infallible. The Word of God is inerrant and infallible. I just want to pause here and I want to say this. That if you do not believe that this is the word of God, something's wrong if you're a Christian. I'll never forget the first time I spoke with a pastor, Brother Andrews, and they told me they did not believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of God's word. All that means is it's a fancy term to say God's word was without error. You see, if at any point God's word is in error, then we can throw it out as a whole. Like this, if there's a prophet of God in the Old Testament and they spoke in error, If their prophecy was in error, we would note him or her in these days uh, as a false prophet. So if at any point this book is in error, we can describe this book as a false religious book. Now, I will admit that there's a lot of things about textual criticism that I am yet to, to fully understand and comprehend. But I had to do exactly what the late Billy Graham, the late Reverend Billy Graham said at one point in his life when he was when he was encountering all of these this information about God's word and about manuscripts and about compiling and all this stuff. He just simply said this. Hey, I I may not understand it all, but I believe it all. And I believe every word in this book is the word of God. It's infallible, it's inerrant, it's inspired. Remember what Proverbs says, Solomon said in chapter 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. Every word is. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word is truth. So if God's word is pure, and if God's word is true, then we know it cannot be contaminated by error. And then, the church of Thessalonica. The Thessalonican church. The Bible says in chapter 2, that they received God's word not as if it was the word of man, 
but as it was the Word of God. So today, church, do you believe God's Word is God's Word? Do you believe it's inspired? Do you believe it's inerrant? Do you believe it's infallible? In changing times, the precepts of God never change. But here's another thought I want to share with you about God's Word. The Word of God is preserved. The Word of God is preserved. And that's what makes this book greater than any other book that's ever been written. If you just would, if you ever get to go to the Museum of the Bible, and hopefully one day we as a church will get to go, one of the best parts about the Museum of the Bible is they take you from the beginning days where God gave the original authors the words and they wrote it on manuscript form. And then it walks you through the centuries, walks you through the millenniums of how God's word has been preserved. So early on, God gave his word to the original authors. And in that moment, that word was inspired and breathed by God. And in that moment, it was inerrant and infallible without any error. And, and after the writer wrote it down, whether it was Philippians or Hebrews or Jeremiah or whatever, they wrote it down. And then time came when, they were to, when that, that specific document was no longer able to be read adequately. So they would take it and they would copy it to another copy. And then another scribe, a scribe was devoted fully to taking God's word and writing it out. I'm talking about from ver verse one all the way to the final verse of each book and writing it all out, copying it down. And this was in a time where there was no verse markings, there was no chapter headings, there was no, none of that stuff. It was just all compiled together. And they would move on and go from decade, 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 decade after decade, century after century, until the 1400s when the Gutenberg Press was invented and made copying a whole lot easier. And they would take a copy of it and they would press it down and turn it into a book. And then we would see the centuries would develop even greater systems to where now we have it right here in our hand. And then now we have it so accessible that you can download the free Bible app on your phone and get it. That is what preservation is. When we think of preservation, we think of going into the garden and picking the beans and taking the beans into the kitchen and canning the beans and put them on the shelf so that they can last a little bit longer. We think of taking that meat from the deer that you killed over hunting season and you think about putting it into the freezer so that you can eat it next year or the year after. That is our preservation process. But I want you to know this, that God's preservation process of his word is so much greater than our idea of preservation. God has preserved his word from the moment he spoke it till now. In Isaiah chapter 40, the Bible says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word shall stand forever. Hallelujah. Praise his name. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter quotes this passage of Isaiah 40. And he says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall endure forever. Right. Matthew's gospel records Jesus saying that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will not pass away. That is speaking about the preservation power of God and his word. And then Psalm number 12. Psalm number 12, you probably thought I was going to leave that one out. But it says, the words of our Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of fire. Purified seven times, he says, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, sure, there's a little debate among scholarship about what exactly it's referring to. Some say it's referring to people. Some say it's referring to, to God's word. I submit to you, I believe it's referring to both. I think that it's referring to that if God can preserve his people in this generation and 
generation after, God can also preserve his word. And he has proven that to be the case. Listen, these times, yes, they might be changing, but our God does not change. This morning, as I was on my way over here to the church, after seeing that my windshield was frosted, and that all of the people in the 830 service really loved Jesus because they were out here. And I know Miss Tammy and Brother Matthew really loved Jesus because their hands were, were icicles playing those keys in the bass. I began to think about which season was my favorite season. And obviously we can cross winter off the list. <laughs> the best thing about winter, though, is sitting in your nice, warm and cozy house and watching it snow from the window. That's the best part. The best part about fall is seeing the beauty of God's creation even in the hour of death when the leaves change. I like spring. And the only reason why I like spring is because it reveals God's promise of new life. How that the plants, the trees, the flowers, they come to life again. And it reminds me of how Jesus came to life after being dead but my favorite season is summer obviously where the sun is beaming down those rays of heat and there's not a cold ounce in your body what's your favorite season it's interesting seasons will always change year after year God promised us that in the book of Genesis our times and seasons will always change but know this, God never changes. He is the unchanging God. Even though times may change, our God remains the same. His promises never change. His person and character never changes. And his precepts, they never change. He is the immutable God and the only one worth worshiping. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.